Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. From the cyber hub bunker in studio. You're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the CISO Talk Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're at the end of 2020, folks. Who would have thunk it? Who would have believed that this year would somehow come to an end? I have like a really weird feeling that 2020 is just going to continue. Like it's going to be like, we've invented a new month. It's not <laughs> December. It doesn't end in December. It'll end in ginormous member, you know, whatever. Um, but I've got a great show lined up for us here today, folks. So make sure you tune in. Before we get started on our show today, though, make sure you subscribe right now to our podcast. If you're listening on your favorite podcast listening platform, please subscribe and give us five stars. That does help our ranking. We are the number three podcast in Europe, folks. So thank you so much for your support there. And uh, number six in uh, Africa. So again, in the technology sector, very, very big thing um, for our little humble show. So thank you so much for that as well, folks. You can join our conversation at any point period in time by hashtagging CISO Talk. So you can do that comment on your favorite podcast listening platform or your favorite social media. Joining me today's podcast, Ed Harris. He is the equivalent to the CISO. I've written CISO down because if I had to write his real title, it's just so long. Global Director of Information Security and all other things that a CISO does um, over at Mauser Packaging. Ed, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm very excited about today's show because, um, you know, we're, we're going to give people a little snapshot into your background, but... You know, you're a guy that does not stop studying. You know, it. it so the, the, the nature of, of our world in cyber, you know, you, you've got to stay learning all the time. You, you, you've got to try to, to the best of your ability, stay as close to the adversaries as possible because they don't sleep. They've got tons of time and on their hands and, and they're thinking of new and creative ways to uh, to make their way into your environment, and so you know, we we as, as cyber professionals, we need to 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 do the same thing. And I and I I've, I've got just a, a fantastic staff working for me, and and they're 
now they've embraced this uh, lack of sleep mentality. And it's like, oh, I, I, hey, look, I chased a new rabbit down the hall. And, and look what I found out. You know, I, I, I found out that I can, I can hack one of these things and I can make it talk to my blender. And, it's, and, I, and, I, and I, love the, I love the light bulb that goes off when I, when I see these guys at it. But, you know, I, I got so comfortable in, in, in my digging into, uh, you know, the, the research aspects of, uh, of things that I decided, you know, you know, I had some extra time on my hands. Maybe I should go get a doctorate. That would be fun. And here I am. I'm a, I'm a year into a, a three-year program. And now I'm thinking to myself, I, I should have known better. What did I sign up for? I, I, I you know, every once in a while, I just, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't dread that. I think what I hear from you about your doctorate is what I hear about folks who are studying for their different certs right which is you know i'm studying from a cloud security cert right now and it is a uh, a challenge and it is very tackling and 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 that's not a doctorate like i don't have a dissertation to defend yeah I, you know you, you said that you, you even preparing for certifications you're like going you know i just i, I went and got my cissp because i thought it would be fun and and in preparing for it i i, I took a uh, I, I took a boot camp and, and granted by the time i I started uh, preparing for the CISSP. I had already been in the industry for 18 years at that point. I, I took a boot camp just to reaffirm the knowledge that I needed to have going in. And I'm, I'm sitting through a, a 40 hour, actually it was more than 40 hours because you'd go into class at eight o'clock in the morning and, and you'd finish up at five o'clock in the evening and then your study groups would get together and, and meet until 10 o'clock in the evening. And then we had an all day study session on Saturday and then on Sunday, I sat for a six-hour paper exam. It was, it was, you know, that that period of time before they automated all of the examinations, and it's like I I've been through this this mind-melting training session all week long. I banged out a big study party Saturday, and then Sunday I sat down and I, I took the exam, and then I had a five-hour drive from Washington D.C. back to North Carolina, which is where I was living at the time, and I'm thinking, you know. What was I thinking? You know, at some point in there, I thought this was going to be fun, and and the fun part showed up a, a, a few weeks later because they they manually graded the exams back then. Uh, my 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 certification came through, and they're like, "Congratulations, uh, you passed it on the first hit." And I'm like, "Well, now this feels like it's more fun." Yeah, the sense of accomplishment is 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 one aspect that people absolutely enjoy. So before we go a little bit further, Ed, if you don't mind, you know, you've been in cyber. A very very long time so tell tell our audience a little bit about you know how you got started in cyber and, and what's been your track uh, over the last three decades or so well so you know I, I started off as a, as a programmer in the very beginning and, and that gig lasted about three years but what I really got involved in 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 the program that I was working with uh, uh, with the US Department of Energy is I, I did a lot of their security. So I'm like, I started, I was playing with databases and doing some encryption. And it's like, wow, that's kind of fun. And, and you know, it's like, well, programming lasted about three years for me. I was bored to death. And I'm like, yeah, I should go try networking. And I got into uh, to doing some Novell stuff. And it's like, oh, maybe I should be a, a C&E and, and go get my Novell certification. And then and uh, Microsoft came out and said, you know, doing all of this networking stuff, um, it doesn't need to be as hard as Novell made it. Let's make it easier for you. And and 
I started looking at, at, at uh, um, Microsoft's methodology uh, for you know managing and, and securing networks, and I'm like, going, yeah, this is way easier. Why are we doing this the Novell way? So I, I jumped over to, uh, to to doing things the Microsoft way for for a while, drink the Kool Aid, um, and ultimately just kind of worked my way back in, uh, into you know networking with hardware and and doing some some programming stuff, and 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 over time. I realized that I really liked being the traffic cop much more than I liked being the ops guy. I I, I enjoyed, um, you know, taking a, a switch and, and configuring it so that it was secure, and and you know, and moving into routers and moving into Wi-Fi and and moving into servers. And it's not just one server; it's hundreds of servers and thousands of servers and and whole farms. And and I'm like, man, this is this is really, really exciting. I'm like, I wonder if anyone else likes to do this the way that I like to do this. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you've, you've got the birth of, of, of a cybersecurity team who does nothing but focus on the, the industry best practices for securing devices. And it's like, oh, I, I, I don't want to do networking anymore. I want to play in security. And, and from there, it's just, it's grown um, and, and I, I've seen it grow, grow over time. I, I do some, uh, some, some work in, in, a, in a third world country and they are, are they're quite, a, quite a few years behind us, but they're offering cyber to their high school kids. And I'm like, but we struggle to have electricity and running water in your town. Why are you guys doing cyber? They're like, because that's the future of everything. And I'm like, you guys get it. You guys got it right off the cuff. Uh, and it's, it's been my passion for, security's been my passion for so long. I, I almost, I, I don't know any better than looking at anything else. Uh, you know, my, my wife is, uh, she, she called me earlier this evening and she's like, hey, we had to have a, a new HVAC system put in the house. And I'm like, oh well, that's that's great. And she goes, yeah, well, the guy wants to. He was hooking up the new uh, uh, the the new panel in the living room, and he wanted to know if you wanted this hooked up to the internet. And I'm like, don't you let him hook that my HVAC system up to the internet? I'll have knuckleheads across the planet trying to adjust my temperature up and down in the middle of the night. But uh, yeah, it, it it it's gosh, I, I want to say, is it, is it fair to say it's it's kind of like a drug? It's just. You know, you just you you live for it. It's it's exciting. I the cool thing about uh, being in cyber is, you know, sometimes I, I don't know what I'm going to be doing from one day to the next because, you know, I, I may be, you know, chasing a, a bad guy down who's trying to, you know, tinker with with one of our websites and, you know, and uh, or or I may be, you know, reading uh, somebody else's uh, security papers and, and looking at some new best practices and we're considering some new technology. So I'm reading the industry best practices for that and, and constantly studying and constantly challenging my guys. And I'm like, be better at, at what you do. You're, you guys are great, but be even better than great. And so for us, it's a constant learning. Yeah, cyber is not a place where you go and sit down and relax um there, there's few professions where you have to get better with time that mm -hmm. require a daily you know you got to give yourself daily you got to sanction time to learn in cyber 
the, yeah. this isn't a job where you can turn on your computer and just plug in and go all right let me go down the same boring route this right, is right, a right. job where you're, you're waking up every day and you're probably you know the, the the good ones you know we spend time preparing and i say you know we spend 30 minutes to an hour every morning just preparing for what we're going to face during the day right and, and then we probably end the day with another 30 minutes to an hour of of more reading of more studying of 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 of, of digging deeper you know beyond that um in, in order to be good at what we do and then there's very few jobs that do that yeah uh, last uh, last company that i worked for I, I i challenged my guys to spend you know four hours a week you know, uh, just doing nothing but learning something new. And and that was nice. That really brought them along. And, and the, the company that I'm with now, uh, I, I've challenged them to to not only, you know, study regularly, look look for something new, um, but I, uh, I asked them to produce what I call a win-loss report. And basically, tell me all of the cool things that you won at this week, and then I want to know what you what you do so well on. And, and for me, you know the, the the loss part of that equation is not a failure in, in the sense that uh, well hey look I, I tried 15 things this week and I failed at every single one of them no what you did is you you stepped outside of your comfort zone and you tried something and it didn't work if you made a batch of brownies and the brownies were bad I'll bet you won't make the brownies the same way the second time and so you'll learn something and you'll move on and and eventually you know you're your 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 wins and will grow and your losses will be less but that doesn't that doesn't mean that you're you're failing less it just means that you haven't stretched yourself and i'm i'm looking for my my team to make that stretch i want you to reach out and try something you've never done before and stretch your imagination i want you to go and figure out how to make the cell phone talk to the blender and then order an uber and pick up your grandma and pick up chinese at the same time you know, I, 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 I want that level of challenge for my guys. And, and when I keep challenging like that, they, 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 they're so hungry for what, what do I need to be looking at next? Well, you know, you're, you're a security architect. You, you're, the field's wide open for you. Let's, let's go try something different. Okay, here we go. Yeah, it's, um, it's very interesting, this, this aspect of, exploring and digging deep in cyber let's talk a little bit about leadership though you talk a lot about your team so i'm kind of curious if someone wanted to join your team what are some of the key characteristics you look for um, in people as you're hiring and building your team you know the the, the easy part of that equation is you know is is the skill set because at the end of the day you know I, I can i can teach anyone almost anything in the cyber field it, it what i can't teach and what I look for the most frequently is heart and passion. Um, do you have to be a rock star? No. Will you be a rock star? Maybe, but a lot of being a rock star is not about how smart you are. It's about how much heart and passion you have in your field. And, and when you're passionate about something, you end up spending a lot of time learning about it and digging into it. And how can I be better at it? What, what am I missing? What, what am I missing from my toolkit? And so heart and passion are the two key things. Yeah, it, it's nice if you've got the, the certs behind you. I, I actually like, some people like certifications, some people don't. Um, I happen to like certifications because to me, that's independent third-party validation that you know what you know. I don't, I don't have to go and ask you, you know, hey, are you 
you know, what do you know about uh, cloud security? And, you know, someone says, well, you know, I've been doing it for a few years. And then you've got someone else who's got, you know, a, a, an equivalent amount of spirit experience. And they say, well, I've been doing it as well, but I've proved it through independent third party validation. And here's my cert, uh, my uh, certification to, to prove it. And so some people like certs, some people don't. I, I happen to be one who who likes that. I, I think uh, uh, it's just a it's just a, a good piece of evidence. You, 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 it's like going to high school. You know, you work hard your entire four years, and what do you get? You get a piece of paper that says that you've you've passed. You you you've completed a task that was four years long. Well, that's really no different than a certification. You you you've studied. You you've got some background, and you've proved that you know what you know. Um, so for me, again, uh, you know, the I, I'm not as heavy on the you know, uh, on the, the skill set, even though the skill set's important uh, as much as I am uh, passion and heart. Yeah. So yeah. we talk a little bit, of, you talked a little bit about certs here. And one of the topics that I'm, you know, I, I do a weekly uh, LinkedIn podcast with some friends who host another podcast. And we talk a little bit about the job search. And one of the challenges a lot of systems experience is when we're posting a job rec, you know, a lot of companies kind of have what I like to call the job requirement signature field kind of like the added disclaimer on everything four-year degree required assist required five years experience and a lot of times they don't quite comprehend you know the entry-level part the uh, uh you know the, the requirements in terms of certs ha have you tackled that kind of in, in your time in the industry and and if so how did you overcome it yeah i mean it, so the, the the key is knowing your your market space um when people are hiring, people always want the best. I always want a rock star. I know, but you're you're asking for a front desk person on a service desk. I know, but I want them to have 25 years experience. I know, but that's not practical. What you need is you need a, uh, I, I, I love, I love college kids. To me, that is a big selling point. You know, when, when I'm looking at uh, uh, an internship program, as an example, um, you know, some of my colleagues have said, well, how are you going to know whether or not an intern is going to be a good intern? I said, well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ask them some questions about their background. Now, first of all, I know they don't have a lick of cyber experience. They've, they've got some book knowledge because they've taken some classes, but you know, when you, when you sit down and, and you start to, to talk to some of these candidates and they say, well, yeah, you know, I, um, I, I, uh, in, in addition to all of my book work and all of my coursework, I also participated in a, a, a cyber event for the college and I represented my university. Oh, really? Now I definitely want to hear about that because that tells me that you've got a passion for your field that might not be evident in your book learning. And so I, you know, I, I spend a fair amount of time in, in interviews when I'm talking to candidates just, just to find out, you know, I, I want to know what your resume is not telling me. And so I, I translate that into how I'm writing job descriptions because you might not have cloud experience uh, with Amazon, but maybe you've got cloud experience with Alibaba. Maybe you've got some equivalent experience. I need somebody who understands endpoint security. Maybe you don't have McAfee. Maybe you've got Symantec or some other equivalent product. Um, and so I, I really, I'm cautious about how I write job descriptions um, for what I would consider equivalent skill sets, because the last thing that I want to do is discount a, a potential candidate 
because they don't have, you know, a four-year college degree. You know, and I'll take someone who's got eight years of practical experience in exchange for a four-year college degree. And if you've got any military experience, man, that's that's just icing on the cake because not only are, are you well trained by our, our government, our military, but you've also you you know you're disciplined, and sometimes that's that's even more difficult skill set to find uh, when you're hiring people, especially uh, people that have been in the industry for a while. And they're like, well, listen, I'm I'm accustomed to doing things my way because I know my way works. I understand. And a long time ago, when you were in charge. You've got to do things your way, but we have a we have a philosophy for how we work when we work with my company, and it's 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 open, it's it's clear, it's non-combative, it is absolutely family oriented. It is a a skill set that that promotes one another to be better versions of themselves. That yeah. was my approach. I agree with the military experience piece as a veteran and and I just wrapped up veteran November on the podcast where every single day I spoke to a different veteran who's an infosec and um, one of the most fascinating aspects of it is um, the idea of not only discipline but commitment of of walking and seeing a problem to the end oh yeah is 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 very very different it is, and, and and one of the one of the nice aspects that I find um, by hiring veterans is they are committed to the one team concept. Uh, I don't have to worry about a rock star saying, "Well, listen, you know, I didn't get enough airtime. I don't have enough contracts. I, I'm not doing the. I'm not out in front doing the big things." Uh, the, the veterans that I've hired uh, over over my career, they're concerned with the one team concept. We're all going to win, and we're all going to win together. And I love that idea. That is definitely one of my favorite ideas. Let's talk a little bit about how does CISOs become really enterprise leaders? What skill sets and what do CISOs really need to do in order to excel in that department? Well, so probably one of your, your biggest entry points to, to enter that top line executive component is being able to understand and talk the language of business. At the end of the day, unless your business is cyber your, your business doesn't exist to do cyber it, it exists to do something else mine uh, my company exists uh, to make rigid packaging solutions and so they don't exist for the purpose of running a cyber team we have a need for a cyber team because of of the you know the areas uh, that, that we work in and and you know there's some some past needs and we know of some future needs in preparation for the future but you know if i can't communicate to our executive leadership team, why what I need to do for the company is going to help the company's bottom line, then then I, I failed as an executive leader. Um, so, so number item number one, if you can't talk the language of business, then 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 that's that's one mark against you. Um, number two, you have to be able to get to the to the bottom of a question, and 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 we talked about research in the very beginning. Do I know the answers to every question? No. Does anybody? No. But I know where I can go and get the answers. And sometimes, uh, you know, I'll reach into my staff and I'll look for an answer. And if I can't get the answer in in my staff, I, I reach out to uh, a handful of uh, mentors that I, I've uh, worked with over time, and I get their input. 
can I get the answer? Yeah, I can get the answer. But I'm not going to have the answer right off the cuff. That's, that's not practical. But you have to know how to answer questions and solve problems and not be afraid to use your, your resources uh, to go in and, and, and get those kinds of, of details that you need that, that are going to help you to, to be successful. Um, one of the things that uh, uh, I did when I was the, the president of a, uh, an ISC squared chapter in North Carolina is we uh, opened up to the community um, the, the notion of, you know, doing some free work for the com community around writing job descriptions and, and, and helping small companies uh, uh, develop programs. And uh, we, we didn't have anyone to take advantage of that. But one of the things that, that was really nice that came out of it is, is we would have a, a closed door session. And as a, as a chapter member, if you had a problem within your company, you could, you could come in, we would have a closed door session, um, all covered by non-disclosure agreements, and you could just lay the problem out on the table. And then as a, as a collective group, we would design uh, a solution to help you get through whatever it was that, that, that had challenged you. And then give that back to you so that you go back to your company as the champ because you're, you're bringing a, a solution to a company problem and it's been, you know, vetted by the, the team of, of, of local experts in addition to yourself. And that was a real nice give back uh, to our group. And, you know, we had a few folks take advantage of it from, from time to time. And, and, uh, and that, uh, you know, it, it's the giving back. It's the, it, it's the business language. It's the knowing how to solve problems. Those are the, the kinds of things that, that lead you back into that executive space where people want to hear what you have to say because of your contribution to the bottom line. Yeah, you're, the point of being part of the business is critical for so many aspects of it for a CISO, um, simply because if, if you, you don't understand business, I think one of the things I always add to candidates when I interview them, Ed, is do you understand business? So what's your business acumen? Because I need you to be an ambassador just as good as I am to, with with business. Let's talk a little bit though about you as a CISO. Where do you spend um, the most time? What aspect of security do you spend the most time on? For me, it's 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 understanding what my business is getting into next, so that I can help prepare a security posture that reduces the risk into whatever aspect that they want to get into. And, and I don't care what my company wants to get into. They may say, hey, you know what? We want to make widgets. I want to make some blue, some red, some yellow. And I don't care what they are. I don't, I don't care what the widget is. But you know, when I, when I have an opportunity to, to have a seat at the, at the design table, when they're talking about new business ventures that they're getting into, I can immediately begin to understand where we're going to go and look for those opportunities to, to mitigate risk associated with whatever venture that they choose to get into. Um, and, and at the end of the day, from a cyber perspective, you know, they, they, some people see the, the, the information security team is they are a team of people who tells you no, not my team. My team will tell you yes. You want to do something? Yes, we can do it. But let me tell you about three steps we probably should follow to help mitigate the risk to make that venture a, a little bit more successful to ensure that we don't have a failed attempt. Yeah, the idea of no is one of those ideas that I um, often have to fight with when it comes to our vocabulary. In mm -hmm. fact, in my 
in, in, in my basement, when people walk in here um, now, because I work from home, I've got a whole thing that says no, just don't say no. Right. Never yep. like, just get rid of it. In my office, I used to have a thing on the door that said, you know, the department of yes. Right. Right. You, you've got to constantly put that in, because unfortunately, if we don't get college kids that we can mold the way we want to, you know, the youngsters, the people that are coming out and and we, we need the people who've been in the industry for 10, 15 years. Um, we need the guys that have been, you know, doing it for a while. They kind of you've got to reprogram them almost. Yep. Yeah. The, um, so Truett Cathy, who was the uh, uh, the owner of, of Chick-fil-A based in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, wrote this yeah. book called It's Better to Build Boys Than to Mend Men. You know, and, and you, you, you've got a, somebody who comes in with a, a notion, a concept, and, and, you know, they've been doing it this way for a long time. It works and, and that's great. But with with, you know, with, with folks like that, uh, sometimes that old level of thinking doesn't do well to adapt. And so, you know, when I when I go and I look for for college kids to to bring them up through an internship program and then ultimately into a uh, into a full time opportunity, I look for those critical thinkers who are capable of adapting on the fly. I said, you know, it, it's great um, that 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 you you've taken what you've learned and that's got you here. And here's the title of another book: What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Uh, I need you to be able to recognize that. What got you to to where you're at today is not going to get you to the next step. You're going to need to adapt, and your ability to to adapt and change on the fly as the business changes is going to be one of your greatest assets that you can learn. If you learn nothing else from me, you go on to another position. You learn to adapt to the business on the fly, and sometimes that that adaptation uh, is sometimes positive, and sometimes it's not. You know, sometimes we have to take a project that we're working on and we need to spin it down because it's not in the best interest of the company right now. But if you can learn to adapt on the fly and adapt to the changes that your business uh, is experiencing from a headwind perspective, man, you're, you're just going to be an asset that people are going to want to have around because they know that whatever change is coming, it's okay. It's nothing but a thing. Yeah. It's um, you bring up such great points, right? Adjusting and adapting to the business and being able as a security practitioner to kind of be able to turn down a project and being able to, you know, kind of wind down a project and put it on hold for a little bit to support a mission that the business has and then be able to spin it back up. I see that being a challenge with so many different security departments. Yeah, especially when you've got people that are so passionate about their project. And I can can really appreciate people that, that just sink their everything into a project and said, you know what, man, I'm going to make this the best thing in the world. And when the company comes back and says, you know what, this is not that important to the company right this second. Let's put this off for a year and go work on that over there. And it's like, but I don't want to work on that over there. I want to work on this right here. And it's like, but if you can't, if you can't adapt to that, first of all, don't get me wrong. You should put your your all you should leave everything out on the field when you're working on a new capability that you're bringing into the organization the company's paying for you to leave it out on the field all 110 percent of your game um but if if you can't adapt to the headwinds that the company's feeling man your your feelings are going to get hurt and they're going to get hurt pretty good and then you're going to pout about it and what am i going to do 
with a highly talented individual that pouts a lot, and I, I might have to make some uncomfortable decisions. Yeah, there's there's always an aspect of, uh, of 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 highly motivated, highly passionate people who tend to stumble over their own over their own feet sometimes without really realizing that. Hey, yep. You've gotten your point across. We hear you. We agree with you, but it's just not going to happen right now. It's it's you're going to have to put it on hold. You're going to have to wait for a little bit. You're going to have to be a team player for a little while and then come back. And again, that's where like you said early on, like veterans and military folks, that's when they're going to come back. They're going to present their case. If you say no, they're just going to, you know, fall in line yep. and and proceed with the next mission. Um, you know, and and passionate people sometimes tend to do that to themselves. Let's talk a little bit about your favorite security project, what was it and why? My favorites, you know, I, I love multi-factor authentication. Okay. I, I love the feeling of making it so difficult for the bag. And get don't get me wrong, I know that multi-factor authentication is not foolproof. We know that, you know, there are certain factors of, of auth that are weaker than others and that are capable of, of being spoofed. Um, but I, I love the strength that MFA brings. I, I love the confidence um, that I can hand off to uh, to to my company, my my the, the, the folks who log in every single day, and 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 know that if somebody got a hold of their password, um, that the the strength of the authentication process would still get them in, and they can still keep working. And it's not going to be as big of an impact as it used to be. You know, are there still going to be phishing attacks where people try to, you know, grab my folks' passwords? Yeah, that's that's going to happen forever. Um, but still, I, I think, you know, probably, yeah, I just love MFA. I love the creativity. I, I in in my uh, uh, some of my uh, doctoral research, I read a uh, a paper um, where uh, this this. This guy had six or seven factors of authentication built into a, uh, uh, an authentication capability for his network. And, and keep in mind, there's only three types of authentication, something you know, something you have, something you are. And so anything more than three is just duplication of the same efforts. And there's nothing wrong with that. It just makes the, you know, the, the login process a little bit more difficult and, and it's a little bit more challenging to, uh, uh, to troubleshoot. Um, but I loved the creativity. Um, you know, one of the, one of the, the logins was uh, uh, the laptop that this guy had had to have a, a specific certificate on it. Okay, there's one factor of all. Uh, he could only log in from his network uh, where his business was. He wasn't allowed to travel. There's a second factor. He had a username and password. There was another factor. Uh, he had a certain time frame that he could log in from there was another factor and, and you add on a, a few more factors and, and, and it was really creative how he made that process really, really rigid, but really, really sure it, it provided a high degree of confidence that that person was who they say they were when they were logging into the, the you know, the company network. And I love the seeing the creativity, but I just, I love the value that it brings an organization of knowing that James is who he says he is because he provided uh, the correct answers to all of the questions and you know, he's got the right biometric and he didn't change the uh, the vein pattern in his eye recently uh, To uh, to make it easier for someone else to be able to log in but 
Yeah, I mean, so I'll agree with that. I'll, I'll tell you one of my challenges with MFA is, do you prefer a text or are you an app guy when it comes to the two-factor MFA code? I'll, I'll tell you why I'm an app guy. Because the, the, the text in and of itself can be spoofed. For example, if, if I find out who your carrier is, if I find out what your address is, I can just call the company and say, hey, listen, my name's James. I'm having some problems with my mobile phone. Um, uh, you know, can you can you send me uh, a, um, a duplicate phone? And and they're like, okay, James, we'll we'll send it. We're going to send it to your home address. I'm going to wait outside your mailbox. I'm going to watch the mailman deliver it, and then I'm going to grab that phone uh, that's got your duplicated SIM card in it. And then now I've got your mobile number. And now when the when the 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 one time uh, text message comes to your mobile phone, it's now going to come to my mobile phone that looks like yours. And so that process can actually be challenged and it, it's been proven, uh, that hack has been proven successfully. Um, what, where the, the value that comes in with an, uh, an app is that, you know, I, I don't have to worry about my mobile phone being spoofed. Yeah, so <clears throat> I, I agree with that. I, I think that there, there's a challenge with biometrics that we haven't encountered yet but we will as time goes along, which is the privacy aspect of it. And that's oh. going to be a, that that's going to be a very um, interesting aspect because I see more and more biometrics popping up, but I also realize that the moment one of them experiences a breach where your biometrics are exposed, disclosed or otherwise, um, you know, that's, that, that's the moment we, um, we start to see the FTC and the government get really involved with it. And in Europe, that you know, your biometrics are already part of GDPR. Right. So your biometrics are, are identical and you're not allowed to really hold someone's biometrics according to GDPR either. Well, so your GDPR allows the company to retain the necessary identifiers to, for, for the, uh, for conducting the, the the transaction of the business, and so when someone says, "Well, you know, I've I've got a right to be forgotten because GDPR says I've got a right to be forgotten," you're you're right. You do as long as it doesn't cause my company to fall in default on a compliance obligation. So yeah, you have a right to be forgotten in seven years when my compliance obligation is done. So the GDPR GDPR still is still flushing out there. Uh, their aspects of that, and, and, and there's still a, a ways to go, and, and I can appreciate that. Uh, but you're right, privacy is going to be key to the future, and, and that's going to become, the, as far as I'm concerned, from a cyber perspective, it's the next hotbed of, of, of activity that we're going to have to be cognizant of. And, and where this really comes in is, uh, is, is legal. Our, our attorneys, I, I've got a couple of attorney buddies who specialize in privacy and and that's where legal that's where law enters the cyber realm in helping to protect these organizations uh now from a an mfa perspective you know uh, what i w one of the challenges that i would have from a, a from a biometrics is not allowing a replay attack for example um, if i've got a database and my database has your fingerprint in, in it then I wouldn't want a, a rogue database administrator to get a copy of your your fingerprint and then be able to replay that back and said, "Look, haha, I just logged in as James with his fingerprint." You know, the, the the technology needs to become a little bit smarter 
so that you can only read in a, a biometric at runtime and then test it against what's in the database rather than saying, well, I'm just gonna replay uh, a digital entry and, and, and I'm going to fool the biometric markers. And, and I think that's where, that's one area that, that we could challenge uh, biometrics is making sure that replay attacks aren't possible. Yeah, there's an aspect of continuous monitoring, which I really like within biometrics, which is if it's if, if it's, you know, constantly scanning your iris while you're using something, it gives you a little bit more of a sense of security um, to a level, to a degree. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. There comes a point in period in time where, you know, your biometrics communicating back and forth does create a. Uh, um, a, a place for your opponent to come in and, and intercept that and then override it. And I think that that's what I think most people, you know, kind of in biometrics, we see this with, um, we've seen biometrics kind of being taken advantage of, you know, with IDs and passports and, and so many other ways um, that that it's, it's going to be very interesting. I, I believe that biometrics are an important MFA and one that's needed. Um, I'm also well aware of the challenges that come with it that we're going to need to overcome. Yeah, I, I, uh, I installed a, a biometric reader uh, in a company that I work for. We, we put them on all of our doors just to secure um, our, our workspace. And, and oddly enough, you, you, you put biometric readers in and it, it lowers your insurance rate and the company recoup their, their money rather quickly. Um, but I had one uh, older lady, uh, she was going in and she was she would scan her 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 palm print for, you know, for biometric markers. And she just really didn't have any fingerprints left. And, I, and I'm talking with her and I'm like going, how do you not have any fingerprints? And she's like, I've worked hard my entire life. You know, I, uh, you know, when I, I go out and I work in my garden, my, my tools wear my fingerprints down. And, and when, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm cleaning the, the kitchen, I use, you know, back then we used harsh cleaning chemicals like Clorox, we Cloroxed everything. And, and over time, it wore her fingerprints down so that she only had a partial identifiable fingerprint that the reader would even recognize uh, on the side of her thumb. And I'm like, okay, so now I've got this I got this little old lady who I have to get a step stool for so she can step up a little higher so she he can get that thumb on that reader just at the right angle. And then it didn't always work. And that's like... I, that, that was probably a, an interesting uh, biometric challenge for me because I, I can't make your fingerprint appear if you don't have one any longer. And the, and the, the hand reader itself just says, um, Hey man, she, she must be from uh, men in black. There's, there's no fingerprints here that I recognize. But. I love it. That's, that's the problems that come with this kind of stuff that we still don't expect. Yeah. Um, it's going to be fascinating. Um, I've always wondered with facial ID and identical twins, right? Because we did that when Apple launched a facial ID. So oh, yeah. A bunch of identical twins accessing each other's phones because facial ID recognized predominantly most of the similarities. Right. And, and the other part of that, too, is is what's, you know, when, when you're doing facial recognition, the, the, the scanner itself has to be able to recognize um, three dimensions and, and know that you're, eyes sit back a little bit into your head from where the tip of your nose is so that people can't go up and, and, and take a, a photograph uh, that they've nabbed off of your, your countertop at home and say, look, 
here's a picture of James, and I'm, I'm you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this Manila, Manila folder here and say, look, this is, this is my picture of James. Does this look like me? Can I, can I get in? Can I come in now? Can I come in as James? So, so we did a very interesting experiment with biometrics, um, where we had people, um, we had Hollywood producers. Um, here in Georgia, we had them um, exactly for that. We were um, looking at securing perimeter with with facial ID, and so we had them actually print out 3D masks oh. of people's faces. Yeah, and it worked. It's creative. Now, but it's not foolproof. N- nothing is foolproof, right? Right. The idea of a 3D mask, though, is. Um, if, if you're looking at, you know, people's pictures, well, you know, everyone's picture is online now. Thank you, Facebook. Thank you, Twitter. Thank you, oh, LinkedIn. Yeah. Thank you, Instagram. Thank you, Google. So everyone's pictures are out there. Getting someone to do a, uh, um, a, a 3D mask is really not that expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can print one out on a 3D printer for a few sure. hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So the cost of the attack isn't expensive, which creates a whole new le- level of challenge. I mean, uh, I work a lot with biometrics, and I got to tell you, it's it's one of those things that I've tested and tried with, and I'm just like, okay, how's that going to make our game better? Right. What do we need to do? Because you can't use a specialty camera for every biometric. Sure. Right? That just that's not feasible. It's not it's not scalable. It just doesn't work. So, so th- th- there's aspects of technology where you go, wow, this this could be really groundbreaking. Yeah, you know, he, he, here's an interesting biometric that uh, uh, someone was telling me about. They said, when you're going to get your hair cut, don't ever piss off your barber or your stylist or or, or or whatever it is that wherever you go to get your your hair cut, because at the end of the day, they got your biometric marker. All they have to do is drop your hair. At the crime scene, and whether or not you were there, you were there. Yeah, um, you know, or or they can just you know shave your head bald. Um, there, there's a, there's a lot of different things that they can do. Um, sure. Even taking off your eyebrows. A lot of biometric readers look at your eyebrows. They measure the thickness of one's eyebrows and the length of one's eyebrows across their eyes. Now imagine if you're, you know, a woman who's constantly changing her eyebrow style, yeah, 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 yeah. you create a little biometric aspect of it, but um, let them take off your eyebrows. I, I'm, I, I'm trying, I'm trying to refrain from that. I like you know, my- it, it'd, it'd be really funny. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it'd be, it'd be absolutely hilarious. I can't wait for the more biometric stuff to come out so I can keep, you know, being the red teamer on it. And yeah. you know, building these masks and trying to overcome it, and 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 so forth, because because there's the, biometrics is a future of MFA, but it's going to be very interesting to see how it kind of uh, pulls together over the long term. Yeah, it it, it definitely has some maturing to uh, you know to 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 go through, and and but but that's that's the same with anything, you know. I mean, MFA. Has actually been around for a really long time. It was originally patented uh, by AT and T back in nineteen, I would say nineteen seventy nine. So the 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 notion of multiple factors of authentication that that concept has been around for a while. It just you know 
the, the we're, we're learning that you know that, that some of the factors are weaker than others and and some, certain combinations work better than others and and you know the the creativity with coming up with such a a, a unique marker uh, as you know, giving a blood sample to log into a, a network. You know, the, what was the, the a movie that was out a few years ago um, where they had to uh, provide a, a blood sample to, to uh, authenticate who they were uh, and, and to go into the, the front end of their company. I, I can't remember the name of the movie off the top of my head, but uh, was it you know, was it, it one of the Mission Impossibles? Because that sounds like a Mission Impossible. No, 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 it wasn't Mission Impossible. Um, but it, it, it turned out that towards the end of the movie that uh, that the guy giving a blood sample was not the guy who he said he was and it didn't match his biometric markers. And the, the girl that he had been dating throughout the, uh, the program thought he was one guy and he turned out to be somebody different and uh, kind of fascinating the, you know, the, the, the whole aspect of, well, I, I am who I am based on my biometric markers really is that capable of being spoofed the answer is yes it is it's 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 all capable of being spoofed it's going to be um anything that we build can be hacked and breached and i think the moment we understand that the moment the people who build it understand it you can build safeguards to make it more difficult but you're not going to stop it so Absolutely. the question is when it happens how much damage can you run damage control mm-hmm. yeah i mean it, that's almost it really needs to be taught in school that, that you know the, the whole premise of the the security construct is really a a an amalgamation of best practices and and those best practices are only best practices because we know those are the ones that have been tested but you know there's there's absolutely nothing foolproof you know if, if I want to make sure that my company never gets hacked I, I need to go over and yank the cord out of the wall you know, you know, once I can stop all of the internet traffic and then I can stop all of the, all of the, uh, sneaker net stuff of, of bringing things in on thumb drives. And, you know, I can, uh, isolate my, my company into a, a nice big vault and I can control who's going in and out and I can control the media going in and out. And, and I can, you know, I can be sure that there's, you know, there's no signals traversing any wires. Um, you know, I, I might have a pretty secure network at that point in time. But the instant that I'm hooked back up to the internet, you know, the, the reality is, is that, you know, the, the bad actors are just going to, you know, they're going to try their bag of tricks from home. Yeah, the, 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 listen, we deal with bad actors that come from all kinds of backgrounds and with all types of different sets of capabilities from nation state actors that have e-disposable and they have an unlimited amount of resources oh, yeah. to try to attack us to cyber criminal groups that are going after our, um, our our finances, our IP to sell to people trying to make a name for themselves on our backs. Sure. So, so we deal with a multitude of, of threats and actors and, and we have to be ready for that. And that's one thing that they don't teach, should be taught and should be explained. Yeah, I, I attended a, a, a McAfee conference uh, last year and I, I had the opportunity to, to, to meet the CEO, Chris, and uh, I said, Chris, you, you know, you, you guys are from from a McAfee perspective. You're really doing some phenomenal things, and I, and I'm glad I'm glad to see the the proactivity uh, that that proactive approach that you are, are taking with all of this. And uh, he's like, Yes, but our, our our largest challenge is time, and it's not that we don't have enough time 
to you know develop these technologies and, and bring really cool things to the market for you. Um, our challenge is, is the adversaries, they've got more time than we've got. And that's the truth. They do. They have more time. They've got more resources. Mm -hmm. They're able to coordinate better amongst themselves. McAfee on the works with a limited amount of the market. Sure. Um, they don't work with all of it. Um, and, and we'd like to see more cyber partnerships, and we see some of that, but it's not always there, right? We as the customer sometimes, you know, company A knows something that, you know, company B that we work with doesn't, and we don't get the news until it's a bit too late. Right. And so there's an aspect of that where, um, you know, I, I want to go down um, um, here, the CISO Insight Round, my favorite part of the episode, really, as we wrap up. And, and this has been such an insightful discussion. I don't want it to end, but I want to be wary of our time because, you know, I got to give I got to keep these podcasts under an hour. Right. Um, on. I, <laughs> I, I, I know people have other stuff to do and the commute is almost but gone thanks to COVID. During days of commute, people would love an hour and 15-minute podcast, but now they, they can barely get through an hour. So here we go, folks. Time for the CISO Insight Round. You're on the hot seat, mister. Here we go. What's one buzzword you'd bury in my buzzword graveyard? Uh, what buzzword would I bury? Um, efficient and effective. God, I... I can't stand that. You know, we can be more efficient. We can be more effective. We have synergies that we want to realize. You know, those are just, you know, those are great. You know, they serve their purpose. They serve their time. But, man, I, I would I would love to, I'd love to see those three just go away. Efficient and effective. That is a new buzzword I'm going to have to bury. Um, thank you so much for allowing me to dig another six-foot hole and bury a new buzzword in it i will be strong and masculine by the time That's this is it, all done especially in december um what's one technology that'll change the way we do cybersecurity? Mm. probably yes probably rights management and that leads back to that conversation that we were having around privacy um you know when, when you look at uh, some of the, the movies that exist in the, in the marketplace and we see, you know, people flying around in flying cars and you, you're hungry and you go up and you, you buy something in credits, you know, that, that, that one world mentality, it kind of scares me to death, the, the notion that, that we're going to become that one of these days. And so the whole notion of protecting the individual's rights, I think that's going to become the new battleground for the future. I like the idea of rights management. I think that's, that's uh, you know, people typically will always say AI or quantum or something like that, but rights management and privacy and kind of the, the way government and industry starts to look at that oh, is yeah. going to be very, very interesting, um, especially given what we're going through right now with, you know, the stuff with the, I don't think people realize this post-election stuff and its impact on privacy going forward. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's a little bit scary when you when you think about it. I mean, you know, the the, the whole notion that um, you know someone could steal an election. I mean, that that's pretty scary. You're you're now modifying governments. It, it, it's a it, it's a coup attempt that's that's not fought, you know, with 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 guns and, and ammunition and and knives or anything. It's 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 fought electronically, 
and you know i, I we're still new at this it, it, it's fought using democracy as a weapon against itself right it's a game of russian roulette do you oh, believe yeah. in free and fair voting and if you do then should you or should you not question the votes because you know maybe your candidate did or did not win um and and but but we see that oftentimes right you can watch a super bowl and the most contentious super bowls are the ones where the refs should have thrown a flag that play should have been called back and the sure. team will be like we didn't really lose the, the the refs made us lose the game we would have won if they didn't throw that flag or if they didn't make that call or you know if 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 and only if and if and when um the idea though here is is greater than that it's uh, I found myself doing a lot of TV and a lot of uh, podcasts post uh, post the election. People would be like, well, could the election be hacked? And I'm like, well, let's define what hacking is. Right. Hacking is unauthorized access to a voting machine. And Chris Krebs is right there, folks. There was none of that. No one hacked the machine. Now, there could have been code manipulation or algorithms within the machine that flipped votes. That doesn't make it hacking the machine. And I think the term of hacking the machine is is being misused by the media. It's being misused by a lot of pundits. Mm -hmm. The machines weren't hacked, right? But could the software within the machine have been written in a way to manipulate results based on a user input? Yeah, I mean, that that's basic. Anyone could tell you that that's possible. Anyone with a basic understanding of coding and development and algorithms can tell you, yeah, I can write within the algorithm a piece of code that flips something from here to here at any point period in time. Yep. And, and, and I think that's where, um, um, th th that's where that's at. What's the last book you read? Um... Oddly enough, it's a, a, a research uh, operational methodologies book that I'm working on for my dissertation. I, I, I read through a number of, of articles and, and journals, um, not, a, not a security book uh, per se, um, but uh, it, it research methodologies, which just happens to be one of my little secret passions and has to be one of my secret passions. Otherwise, this dissertation is not going to be any fun. What's the last movie you saw? Um, I watched uh, I watched a Harry Potter movie over the weekend, um, and it was the the very last one where he uh, um, no spoilers. Well, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Uh, Harry Potter's been out for a long time. You haven't seen that one by now. Some people haven't. Ugh. All right, I won't tell you what happens in the end. Of the movie but yeah favorite music to listen to james taylor okay i love acoustic guitar i actually love some banjo too i like some bluegrass bluegrass is a lot of fun i gotta tell you i like there is a place right next to our our, our <clears throat> where i live here in uh, just north of atlanta that was had a had a great little you know kind of weekend spot for live local music and that always bring like bluegrass country you know, oh, yeah. kind of, that kind of stuff. They're a victim of COVID. They actually went out of business uh, oh. because of COVID. And so, um, so, so thanks so much for taking a venue that I could walk from my house to. Yeah. Smashed and then walk home. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got a high school buddy uh, who uh, 
Um, you know, he, he, he played football in high school. He was a teacher for a while and, and now he's got his own band and he, he travels. He does uh, cover music, uh, uh, for a number of groups, groups that travels international uh, to to play some of these gigs, and and when COVID hit, he reinvented his stage in his basement, and so he would put on little thirty minute concerts, you know, every you know uh, on the weekends, and and you know uh, we would all get together and listen to him play. You know, he wasn't selling any music, he wasn't selling any of his uh, merchandise but he was keeping his brand alive and, and more people that had never been to a, a concert with him were able to see his work. And, and, and I, I hope that it, uh, uh, it brought him some, uh, some new gigs. I, I haven't talked to him in a, in a while, but, uh, you know, he, the, the name of the game is making sure that you continue to, to reinvent yourself, make yourself relevant and don't like, stagnate. Like all of us in cyber and just how we started this podcast, let's end it with one final question. What's one thing you took away from the COVID-19 crisis? You know, the, the, the COVID-19 crisis didn't make my transition to digital as difficult as I expected it to. We were well positioned. Um, I, I, I expected there to, to be uh, a few more struggles that we just didn't have. Um, I don't know, knock, knock on some wood. Uh, I, uh, I I expected more. I expected more problems than what I actually had, which meant that maybe I was a little bit better prepared. Yeah, it's it's funny. Those of us who were prepared didn't have some of the madness that other people who weren't prepared oh, yeah. didn't have. But at the same time, I found myself reaching out to my peers and helping out any way I could. It was funny to see how a lot of us just came together. It was just like a wolf pack, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you need? What, what are you having a hard time with? Hey, talk to this guy. And there were a lot of great vendors that came through, like, on the crunch and just were like, here you go. Use this for 30, 60 days for free. If you like it, keep it. If you don't, you know. You yeah, know. yeah. I mean, I love the notion of, of uh, uh, Internet service providers realizing, hey, people are going to be home. They're going to blow through their bandwidth in no time. They're going to burn their 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 megabytes or gigabytes or terabytes of whatever they bought. Um, we should we should relax that a little bit and allow people to take more advantage of uh, you know uh, of the 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 internet service providers and 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 use the service more because ultimately that's just going to mean more revenue in the future for them. Um, some some internet service providers uh, read onto that quickly. Some didn't figure it out until it was too late. Indeed. Ed, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it, folks. Ed Harris, uh, a great guest, a wonderful conversation. Thanks so much for everyone for listening and tuning in. Make sure to support our loyal and great sponsors of the show who, um, you know, help us out. And without them, the show wouldn't be here. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast if you're watching us on YouTube. Uh, please do so and turn on the notification bell to get notified. Veteran November is obviously over, so you're not going to get a podcast a day now unless it's the practitioner brief. But then the rest of the time, you'll be getting just the usual. We're back to usual podcast schedule for the month of December um, until um, until the holiday season. So uh, on, on behalf of myself, on behalf of Ed, I want to thank you all for tuning in. And thanks so much for watching and listening. Make sure to subscribe. We'll be back with another episode of uh, Talk shortly. Until then, folks. Stay healthy and stay cyber safe. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.